We're overcomers. Amen? Um, the title of uh, the lesson, and, and it's, uh, it's kind of hard to get the title, but the title I'm going to give it is The Contradiction of Contentment. If I were to ask, uh, and I'm not going to be long, so that's really awesome. I'm sure you all love me for that. Uh, if, if I were to ask this assembly if you are a believer, I feel pretty confident that most every one of you would raise your hand you're here on a Wednesday night. I mean, you have to be a believer to be at church on a Wednesday night, amen? Yeah, right. Which brings us to a, a very simple truth. Once we have identified ourselves as a believer, once you've done that, and I don't mean in, in the church, I mean out where you live, we begin to be scrutinized by our family, our friends, our co-workers, anybody that you're in contact with. Once you've identified yourself as a believer, once you've put Jesus' name on yourself, people begin to look at you in a different way. And we kind of shrink back from that. We become a little agitated, a little hesitant, because they're scrutinizing us so much. If we make a slightest mistake or we do a little thing wrong, it's... They're right there. They didn't care whenever you weren't. But once you identify yourself as a believer, you're scrutinized. Why is that? I like to posit the reason that they scrutinize us because they're looking for something that they don't have. They're looking for something. Just as you were looking for something, they are. And suddenly you represent potential hope for them. So they're going to scrutinize you. They're going to look at you. They're going to look at every facet of your life, not only the things that you say and proclaim and talk about, but they're going to begin to look at everything you do and how you behave and how you handle different things. The people you encounter on a daily basis are flooded with promises of relief from stress and the chaos of their lives, Many of these promises of comfort originate from secular sources, but often contain some aspect of pseudo-spirituality. How many self-help books are there Barnes and Noble? It fills up entire cases. People recognize their need, but have become skeptical of what is being offered by religion. Religion. The anxious and distress that surround us crave something authentic, something that is true. They have enough nonsense in their life. They crave something that is authentic, something that rings true in there. There is a void within the hearts of the people that do not have God around you. Amen? So they analyze and look. And they should look. Because the scripture says that there is supposed to be a definable difference in a child of God. And this is kind of where we're getting to it. There is supposed to be something that is definably different about a Holy Ghost-filled child of God. You're not like other people. You've been bought 
by the blood of Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit of the One who created you. So there has to be something different about you. And the expectation of God is that there is something different about you. First Peter 2 and 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth, example, show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Show forth to whom? Show forth what? The people you're showing this to are the people that remain in darkness. Once that transformational experience has taken place, the new birth experience, the change is designed by God to be noticeable. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Once we have been transformed by the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we become, whether you realize it or not, church, you become a beacon pointing to our Redeemer and Deliverer. And my question for you tonight is, how bright is your beacon? What exactly are you pointing to? An ineffective God? My God's not ineffective. He's able. He's still able, Brother Murphy, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know that scripture according to the power that worketh within us. Well, if he's still able, then the beacon that we represent should reflect the power and majesty of God. I didn't want to yell tonight. I'm sorry. Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 5, Ye are the light of the world. I mean, we learned this when we were children. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I want to stop right there. Jesus didn't give examples in a nonchalant manner. A city that is set on a hill, a city, a structure, a large structure. You can't move it. It's going to stay on the hill. It's going to be seen regardless of its condition. Its condition had better reflect the care of its builder. It had better be maintained in the appropriate manner. Because what does it say if the city that has been set on a hill becomes abandoned and begins to decline? Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. It's not about you. It's not about you, church. It's about God, my majestic, loving Father. That's who it's about. And when we recognize this, the fact that we are now conspicuous, when we begin to realize that we live for God, not only for ourselves, but for the benefit of us, 
benefit of those around us. When we begin to realize that, we understand the importance of what we do for him. So now we understand that we represent something eternally relevant. We must now learn that there is an important distinction between the things that we do and the things that we are. The things that we do implies action. Most often for Pentecostals, this centers around our standards, our physical standards, and our verbal professions or our witnessing. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything negative about that. We are a holy people. And we are holy because we love him. We behave and dress in a certain way because we love Jesus and it is a representation of that love. Unfortunately... That's normally, I shouldn't say normally, but that is often where it stops for good old Pentecostals. The doing is extremely important. We must become more active in God's kingdom. The things that we are, however, is a little more difficult to define. It's a, little, it's a somewhat more amorphous concept. It's difficult for me to define it for you, but I'll look at, I'll, I'll try to do it this way. We are, what we are is revealed through our reactions to the experiences and ordeals of our lives. Experiences and ordeals that are common among all humanity. How we endure the chaos and anxiety that we all find ourselves in at some point, accentuates the reality of Jesus through us. Within this auditorium are individuals who are suffering under the burden of anxiety and crippling fear, and you're sitting on a pew presence of Almighty God? How you react to that, that is what you are. I hope this makes sense to you. How we endure this tells a lot about Jesus in our life. You see, an individual can hide behind the many, many manifestations of the doing. I call it Pentecostal camouflage. I'll dress really holy, and I'll come to church, and I'll sit on the front pew, and, I'll, and I'm not knocking this. Don't stop doing this. And I'll worship God. And maybe the pastor won't notice me, and maybe the person next to me on the pew won't notice that my life is in turmoil. I can't feel the presence of God because my mind has been infiltrated by fear and anxiety. That's what I call Pentecostal camouflage. But the things that we are become clearly evident in the crucible of life. And the difference between the things that we do or profess and that which we are have tremendous implications in our life as well in the lives of those who know us. That is what the scrutiny is about. Because we all walk a common earthly road 
The observers of our lives are looking for something different from you and I. The people that are looking at you need to see something different. They need to hear it from you, but they need to see a manifestation of the power of God in the midst of the turmoil of your life. As you are suffering through job loss, the destruction of relationships, how you behave and react with the presence of God in your life gives hope to the person that is enduring the same things as you are. Remember, you are charged to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. This scripture implies that we should be manifesting evidence of that internal hope externally. So I would like to take a few moments tonight. That was an introduction. Already 8.10. So I'd like to take a few moments tonight to re-examine an aspect of our relationship with Jesus that is a fundamental identifier of that relationship. This aspect of our relationship with the Lord is basic and yet offers the most compelling evidence of the truth and reality of God's existence. In many people's lives, it is a manifestation of a miraculous transformation, just as the absence of it also speaks volume to those within your sphere of influence. The notable characteristic to which I refer to is divinely inspired peace and contentment. Nothing complicated, it's just peace and contentment. But how elusive this state of being is for people who claim to have the Spirit of God within them. The Scripture says where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. When I speak of contentment, I'm referring to, the, to that which is the natural byproduct of the supernatural peace that accompanies the presence of Almighty God within you. That's what I mean by contentment. I'm not talking about simple peace and contentment. I'm not talking about the momentary respite that is common within this culture, a reprieve that is normally derived through distraction. I don't care what you do on the weekends. I don't care if you go fishing every day. That's not the manifestation of God's Spirit in your life, ladies and gentlemen. I want to go ride a motorcycle, get my mind off my problems. Well, that's... That's not what God has called us to do. I'm nothing wrong with riding a motorcycle, I'm just saying. Hopefully be on one pretty soon. So I'm not talking about things, the things we busy ourselves with to get our minds off the turmoil within our lives. Turmoil such as fracturing relationships, feelings of isolation, crippling uncertainty. I'm talking about a radical, conspicuous, contradictory peace and contentment. 
Jesus stated in John 14 and 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I am referring to the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Illogical, counterintuitive contentment. That church is your birthright. I do not know what's going to happen with your marriages. I don't know what's going to happen to your children. But I do know that you can stand on the foundation of your God, knowing that if you leave it in His hands, it is in the most capable hands of all. Why do I say contradictory? Because the peace and contentment associated with a vibrant relationship with Jesus stands in stark to the chaos of this world. John 16 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am simply here tonight to speak peace into someone's life. It's not a complicated lesson. You can hear it and leave and leave the lesson right here. 